must start, now I've said this to you in person before, but for all the listeners, a big congratulations. Thanks, I'm not pregnant anymore. <laughs> That's the most exciting thing. Uh, yes, if I was still pregnant, I would have been very, very grumpy at this stage. Um, but no, uh, yeah, a week ago uh, she arrived, so we're all feeling yeah. good, really. So yeah, very exciting. How does it feel as a going from a family of three to a family of four massive because diff- see mine came within three minutes of each other so that was that <laughs> how big how big so far or not was that change from three to four yeah not a massive jump really um I mean because your life is already about a child it's just now about two <laughs> so you know the, the difference of the first one I think is definitely more because your life is dramatically changing <laughs> whereas it is not so much it's just a little bit more to deal with but there you go so so yeah no it's um it's it's all good uh so i won't bore people with uh all the gory details although some people love it they love hearing no no i don't no all the gory no? details I don't. Okay, you're not that sort of audience. I know we've got a lot of ish in tennis, but that might be too far. No, that's. A, I would have to. I think we'd have to put some kind of warning. You know, I, I don't know if podcasts have like ratings. You know, sometimes I listen to a podcast. Podcast and it says not advisable for anyone. You know, I like my crime stuff of like thirteen and under or thirteen or whatever. I'd have to put one of those if you started going down a road that. And I might listen to crime podcasts, but it doesn't mean I like that stuff. I don't like that stuff. <laughs> and I never want to listen to that stuff. So uh, apologies. Enough. I'm to, happy to not talk about it to any listener who who wanted to hear that I really apologize that I'm going to move things on but does it make you I'm wondering as as a former full-time professional athlete tennis player and I know this is your second child not your first but does it still leave you slightly in awe or do you think it would be doable as to how these athletes go through everything and it's a massive change for the body and then get back to playing at an elite or somewhere near an elite level yeah, I mean, look, it's very impressive. I think more just, um, I think a lot of parents will agree that the biggest problem is just general logistics of <laughs> of um, of babies and children and trying to work. And if you're an athlete, you're trying to train. It's more just the time it takes because when you're an athlete, it's just, it's your entire life. And then of course, when you have a kid, it can't be. It just, it, your kid's your entire life really. And you're trying to squeeze stuff around. So I think that's the the big thing. I can totally see how... You know, the body does it. I think it's definitely much more difficult in your 30s than it is, say, in your 20s in comparison to, say, someone like Kim Kleister's doing it or now Naomi Osaka is doing it. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think it's just the how do you do that? How do you do family life and full-time athlete life in a sport where you travel from country to country to country, week after week after week? You don't stay anywhere for longer than a couple of weeks. And... um, Yeah, that's the thing that I just don't understand. I don't understand how they do it. It's unbelievably impressive. And yeah, you could maybe argue, of course, you know, um, I think a lot of it depends on, I suppose, the partner, the help that you've got. You can't, it's very difficult to to do it on your own. You need to bring people along with you. But yeah, it's it's difficult. You know, it's it's not easy. I remember, was it Marin Cilic talking about how, uh, you know, his baby wasn't sleeping at night, but they're all in the same room and he's at a tournament. And, you, you know, because you have to juggle, you have to make those choices. Do you get your own room? And But then what's the point in your family being there if you're not going to spend the time with them? So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. 
And it's about being selfish, isn't it? As an as an athlete at, at the top of your game, it's about I'm eating when I need to eat. I'm eating what I need to eat. I'm sleeping when I need to sleep. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that because it's all about keeping yourself in the condition to go out there and win the matches. And then suddenly you've got a little one and your little one now, this is our second go. Actually, no, I, I can't, I can't blame the little one for this being the second go at trying to do the pod. Yeah, that was harsh. a battery failure on your part. <laughs> yeah, I had no but, batteries. In the, but in the sense, you know, suddenly if she wants something, she's not going to be like, okay, I'm going to wait till you finish recording, which maybe baby Rog might start to kind of get a handle on doing and my two are sort of getting to the stage where they will. They'll just do it whenever they want to do it. So well, you yeah. can't be as selfish as, as you were or need to be. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And that's it really, isn't it? So I, I do find it incredibly impressive, the people that can just live that life on tour uh, and, and juggle it all. Um, that, yeah, that's that's the thing that's um, it's it's really diff- difficult, and I think for a lot of people it changes your perspective on things, doesn't it? Um, you know, when it, it comes to just what's important and how much you stress over wins and losses and all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, no, but there's more and more parents on tour, I think, more and more men and women. And I know it doesn't matter how much money you have. Look, it's easier if you're a Serena Williams or a Roger Federer or whatever traveling with children because you've got the money to make it a lot more comfortable and you don't have to probably squeeze into one room but for me it's it's the fly I mean flying there are actually they love flying and they're straightforward but it's just the planning and the organizing I'm already you know you're already thinking what do we need to get through this with us and I think it's just the the extra the extra planning and everything that goes with it just makes me really admire those people who are taking their family on tour but at the same time do you know what I mean? What's the point of having a family if you're not going to see them? That's it. That's the juggle. But it's the same for everyone, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, whether it's us working, anyone yeah, working, yeah. you know, we have to travel for our job sometimes. And, um, you know, it's always that balance. And you always feel like it's slightly off in one direction. It's either not quite enough on the work side or it's not quite enough on the family. It's, it's never going to be perfectly balanced. So, yeah. It's the same for everyone, really. <laughs> so in terms of the Australian Open that now seems quite a long time ago, how much of the back end of it, because I know you you were very grumpy because you were very uncomfortable. How much of it were you, were you keeping across towards the end? Yeah, well, I watched it all, really. Um, you know, very much enjoyed uh, the finals in their own unique ways. And um, I thought it was a fabulous tournament. I think I, I really, I really enjoyed it. So much drama from the start, lots of different stories and then we just had a, a I mean what a final that was I think on the women's side it was absolutely extraordinary it was such a, a great match it, everything you hope for because sometimes when you get two big hitters it was Rybakina and uh, Sabalenka well when you get two big hitters it can fall flat it can be very short points they can just be a little bit off balance in terms of what they're trying to deliver how early in the points they're trying to deliver it because they're just so desperate to get the first strike in but we didn't have any of that at all it was just it was, you know, the way that the best big baseline hitting can can be, really. But no, I loved it. The whole tournament, I thought, was was fab. Really enjoyed it. I think with, with Sabalenka, so many people have been just willing this for her for so long because she's been knocking on the door and she's got the game, but with the nerves going to take hold, with the, with the double faults going to creep in. But I think for Rabakina... I'm really pleased for her because she's genuinely a quieter person and I know she wasn't happy that being the Wimbledon champion and obviously there were no points so she wasn't getting, uh, in terms of the draw, she wasn't getting those because she was still kind of making her way up. She wasn't happy being on court 13, 14, 15 and and fair enough, she's a Wimbledon champion but I, I really, I'm happy for her that she made it through to that final and people got to know her 
a little bit more like she was talking about gymnastics and ice skating she I feel she's starting to open up a little bit more and we're getting to know a bit more of her personality and together with that she's now got the points to reflect the tennis that she's playing yeah and do you know what it is and it's such a funny thing it's almost like she's not trying as hard not trying as hard in herself she's sort of you know it, it, that's maturing isn't it it's growing up she, she knows who she is a bit more you know she's been so desperate for it for such a long time and I think she's just sort of accepted that okay it's achievable this is how we're going to do it and uh, you know just execute and she's taking control of her own psychology saying that she's her own psychologist now and um, you know just made some really smart decisions and I think the really big thing that is very difficult for players to do and it really shows the maturity and the fact that you're ready and it's no surprise that this story came out when uh, her coach had said to her yeah I don't think I can give you any more and she was saying no no it's not you like, you know, I don't need to change my coach. Like, I need to sort this out. Hang I mean, on, so this is Sabalenka, right? Because I, I was just chat- waffling away there about Rabakina. Oh! And what she had done. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I let's mean, blame it on massive, baby brain. They're, they're both massive hitters of the ball. And you well, can are. have baby brain because she's still very, very young. I was claiming it two years later. And I cannot have baby brain there. But, they, yeah, they, they've got similar styles. And you feel like they've got gone through similar trials but as you say with with Sabalenka and her team a big thing for her is she's stuck by the team that said maybe you need a different team yeah okay well let's finish up on Sabalenka first thing and we'll we'll circle back to Rebecca um sorry Elena (laughs) that's terribly rude of me she's been put on court 15 yeah I give her the big up and you stick her back on court 15 to start talking about Sabalenka I mean to be fair Sabalenka (laughs) did win so (laughs) she trumps it uh but anyway uh yeah that must have been very confusing for everybody for a little while uh but yeah um uh, so I think you know for for Sabalenka, you know she's been so desperate for it a little for a, a long time. Just trying that little bit less um, has really helped. And for Rebecca, you know she was talking about how you always have those doubts as to whether it was a bit of a fluke at Wimbledon. Um, but I think the rest of the tennis world knew Rebecca was coming. You know we'd we'd seen her for such a long time. We knew she was pre-COVID, coming. Pre-COVID, she was on that phenomenal oh, run. Yeah. Pre-COVID, she'd won tournament, tournament, tournament. And when it shut down, I remember a lot of discussions were someone who's really going to suffer from this is Rebecca because she was making this almighty charge, and then suddenly everything stopped. Yeah, no, uh, it was. Uh... It, it was difficult for everybody, of course, to have that enforced break. But for certain people, it really did impact them badly. And she absolutely was one of them. But, you know, her game is just unquestionable. I mean, the the strike is just... Uh, it, it is so effortless. Everything about her is, is so quiet. And the personality doesn't really match the game on the court, does it? But, my God, it packs a punch. So um, delighted to see that she's you know, been able to get into the top 10 where she belongs. And it's it, it was interesting that following following the final, she f- felt the need on social media to write a statement, a letter, a note. I don't know how we want to categorise it. Defending her coach. Now he is he's a fiery fella, and and, it, and it's it, maybe he seems all the more fiery because she is so placid while she's out on court. But he really takes it to another level. Um, and she felt the need to, because there were lots of people saying he's got to back off, he's got to stop, it's not healthy, it's not right. And and it might not be, I don't know the ins and outs, but she felt the need to put out a statement just to say, look, this guy believed in me uh, all those years ago. He's my first full-time coach. It comes back to this complexity of the, of the coaching student relationship and, and where the power lies. But I thought it was interesting that, that she felt the need to put something out just to say, look, 
guys, just just back off. There was a lot of chat, wasn't there, about it. And because you see, um, you know, if we're going to be really fair, (laughs) what we saw from him in the box was very negative, very constant. It didn't matter what the score was, how she was playing, it was all... It, it felt, you know, quite um, quite intense, quite negative. And I know people who were actually there and were very close to the box and they were saying it's even worse when you're here and you can see it wow. and feel it um, than what you see on TV when you're just getting glimpses here and there. So that was the impression that I think people were getting from sort of back home. Um, but in his defence, we are seeing him in a very... Uh, a highly stressed state it is uh you know coaches are as stressed if not more stressed than the players on the court i mean especially we're back and it doesn't seem stressed at all to be honest so maybe he's just <laughs> absorbed he's just he's just doing all of the nerves and all of the stress for him for them you know he says that she needs energy um and uh yeah sure you can argue maybe different energy not quite so, so negative and you know, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't work for me. Maybe it works for somebody else. You know, you had a lot of people commenting saying that there's just no place for it at all. Really, it's just not how you should speak to somebody in a professional capacity. Um, but you, I would say, is what we don't know is he could be unbelievably positive off the court, and he could be the first person after that match to give her a big hug and say, "You were brilliant. I'm proud of you," um, and, and and do all of the right things. It's just that in the moment that is how they've learned to sort of deal with stress. You know, we watch players do it, don't we? We watch, you know, Andy Murray, we've seen him for years ranting and ranting and and raving, so much energy going out and picking fights with himself, not really with anybody else. Um, And the amount of times that people are sort of like, oh, if he could only just not do that, it's not a very good look. It's probably hindering his tennis, but that is how he's coping with the immense stress on the court. And uh, yeah, so I mean... I'm not sort of making excuses for that behaviour. I don't understand why it's like that. I wouldn't accept that from my own coach. I wouldn't accept that from anybody I knew um, doing it. But as I say, it it could be the case that, uh, you know, he's perfectly great on the practice court and it's just in matches that, uh, you know, that's that's how it goes. She doesn't seem to be too bothered by it. Uh, As you say, she released that statement. Um... So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult, really, isn't it, <laughs> to to know what's what. You only see a tiny glimpse of them on the court. Yeah, it's like they always say, you don't know what's going on behind the curtains or behind the shutters, what is actually happening. You did, when you talk about Sabalenka a couple of minutes back, you talked about that she said she was going to be her own psychologist and she was ditching the psychology she had to figure out for herself. I don't know if you've seen this, but I was sort of signposted on social media to an interview that Jack Edward did, who's the creator of the on the line podcast now it was with gavin mcmillan the biomechanics trainer that uh arena sabalenka hired and if if anyone hasn't seen it just google just google his name or google the on the line podcast and have a look at it it was it was just it was really interesting and one of the lines he said of it the biggest change wasn't her serve it was her forehand so she gets someone in just to completely break everything down and make the adjustments and and here we have a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, and it doesn't always work. Sometimes, and I'm not, I'm not um, trying to be sort of critical of uh, you know biomechanics and people who who do that sort of thing. But sometimes it makes the problem worse when you break something down and try and build it back up again. It ends up having some more weaknesses or more stress cracks than there were originally. Um, so it's a bit of a risk as a tennis player to do that, and you you feel incredibly vulnerable because there'll be a period of time where you just you don't know what's happening with your serve. You can barely throw your arm in the right direction because you're trying to hit all of the right 
points and of course with her forehand as well if you're trying you're you're forcing your arms to do something it doesn't want to do you're forcing your body the timing all of it's different and so you can just feel like i don't know how to hit this shot anymore um so yeah it's a it's a big risk and you know we see plenty of players just not do it don't we we see plenty of players that they get the advice comes from the uh, the big ex pros like a navratilova or somebody like that i remember navratilova saying about ostapenko uh, the year she won the French, um, it was at the end of the year at the tour finals, she said, oh, you know, she needs to start this serve from scratch. She needs to completely dismantle it and start all over again. Yeah, she's not done that because Ostapenko will say, <laughs> well, I've won a grand slam with this serve. So why, yeah, why would yeah. I need to, need to, need to change it? Um, so it can be really difficult to, to really get on board. So you know, huge credit to her for taking a risk, but also huge credit for her to her for making it work because a lot of players, when they get into that, headspace of my serve it's been dismantled but it has not yet been rebuilt <laughs> you currently you don't know how to serve anymore that is a very scary place to be and people get stuck in it and then they don't commit so much to rebuilding they don't believe as much they get uncertain or whatever it is and that's when you're left with a serve that's probably equally as um biomechanically clunky <laughs> as it was before or maybe worse uh so yeah i mean what a great effort for her to do it so quickly as well so there has to be an element of the of the mental in there as well i know maybe a, a biomechanics person would say it's got nothing to do with the mental and, and maybe the point he was making was it it wasn't it wasn't coming from her head it was actually something structurally physically that that wasn't working but then the mental side has to come into it because you say she has to she has to deal with the vulnerability of when it's broken down and then have the belief that she can get it back to where it was or hopefully in her case better than before yeah I mean I've always believed that um, these things are a combination of you have to have something technically wrong in your if if a sir if your serve or any shot is technically fine it it just it sort of doesn't really matter how nervous you get it doesn't matter how bad things are mentally it's just sort of fine it, you know um you know yeah. i can i can tell now um i mean obviously I, I don't play so much anymore but i cannot play for you know three months uh not touch a racket i mean my forehand which has massive technical flaws is you know all over the place i'm basically <laughs> hitting it in the floor i can't, I can't do anything but my backhand which was always technically very very sound and simple is just rock solid it just is absolutely fine like there's no it just it's just fine. Um, it doesn't matter how um, how much disruption I bring. Um, and so the focus is always on the forehand. Um, so, yeah, I think it's always got to be a combination. So you have to have something technically wrong, some issues, and then those technical issues will be covered up when you're feeling confident and everything's fine. And those technical issues will be out on display for everyone to see when you are feeling really nervous or you get the yips or mentally you doubt yourself. So you've got to tackle both. But how do you not doubt yourself when you know you've got technical issues so you can't just tackle one you can't just say it's all mental I just need to mentally believe because you're never going to truly believe when you're trying to it's match point at the Australian Open and you're serving for for the championship and you're like I mean how are you going to believe when you know that my serve can go at any moment it's just yeah it's not gonna happen it's gonna be interesting to see if more people go down that route because there's been so much talk in recent times about um, psychologists and as I say Sabalenka said she ditched hers just because she said she's got to sort her own problems but um, a big advocate of of having a psychologist in it working is Iga Świątek. I mean Daria Abramovic is now 
heavily involved with the sort of day-to-day running of, of Iga Svantec's life and it, it's something that she felt really helped her and and I read as Carol Bouchard did a really nice piece for tennis majors about Svantec and the moving into the other side because you never really think of it like and I know we've touched on this before but she said most of her earnings has, have come on the court but she wants to now explore off it. Max Eisenbud's come in to help her. She's signed with a big agency, but it has to be done on her terms. And I think she's such a smart cookie, Svantec. And I remember when she got that number one, she just looked so settled. She looked so calm. But I really like, and again, if people haven't seen it, sort of search out that article. It's a really nice piece on how she is trying to explore, trying to get the introvert in her and try and put it out there on a kind of bigger stage, which I think must be really hard if that is not naturally your personality. Yeah, I think so. Um, but good to see that she's trying to maximise. I do think that uh, this is the time to do it. Um, oh, yeah, a, yeah. I'm not a businesswoman <laughs> uh, by any sense, but I don't think her stock is going to be higher. I can't see at the end of 2023 that she has double the amount of points of the number two in the world, like like she had at the end of 2022 Mm. um she might still be number one in the world don't get me wrong she might still win a slam but um i don't think we're gonna see her we we could see her knocked off number one i mean it it absolutely could happen i think we're seeing more players get a grip of her game i talked about this before there's been more time there's more belief now um amongst the the rest of the top 10 so i don't think she's going to have as easy a time as she did last year so now's time to do it next few months let's uh sign 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 it is good, though, to challenge yourself. And she's putting herself in uncomfortable positions because it's not naturally her personality. And I think anyone in any stage, walk of life, especially as you get older. Did I tell? Did you know I'm learning Spanish? Have I told you that? I did know you were learning Spanish. Yeah. So I mean, I was for... going to say, I was going to try and say something in Spanish, but I realised that I have not learned Spanish. So <laughs> I, can't, hey, I, I can't I'm, do that. I'm only, on, I'm only four lessons in and I missed two due to the Australian Open. But, but for me, that's a challenge because, and people might think it's weird because of the job that I do, but I find it, I'm you know, in a room full of people, I'm quite shy. And for a teacher to point at me and suddenly say, um, say how you are and who you are and your profession, this in Spanish, I find that I'm like, oh, my word, I get really nervous. And and, and we're all in the same boat with this real eclectic bunch of, of people who have who've come together to learn this language. But it's a real challenge for me, because I find those situations quite, quite, you get really confident people, I'm really, and I think they assume that, because you have to say what you do and everything, that I'm going to be really kind of loud and I'm not. I'm So I think those kind of things, especially as you get older, it challenges the the uh, the brain cells, the grey matter. To, I haven't, look, I, haven't, I can count to, I think I can get to 19, 20, I'm still figuring out. And I can tell you what my name is. I'm not going to. Uh, my profession, <laughs> where I live and what I am in terms of I'm half English, half French, but I keep speaking French. I di- I never realised my French was so good until I started taking Spanish. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you speak French. I Your know, French is good, but you, I didn't you speak French. That's... I didn't realise. And suddenly the teacher looks at you and says, "You ask Mark over there," and you're thinking, "Oh my!" Ah. So do yeah, you just so... do you not just get like when she asks you to say something in Spanish, do you not just get it all in French, like all the French words are coming out? Like, well, don't yeah, I I start to or I start to say something in Spanish, then I add in. Uh, a French word instead of yeah or yes it just it's a real 
it's a real mishmash at the moment. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what a mix of French and Spanish is, but that's what I seem to you be speak out European. Um, uh, <laughs> that sounds quite glamorous, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's but it's no. I, you know, it's I, as I say, just those challenges. The kind of because we all do those news resolutions of I don't know, eat less, exercise more. I don't know if people drink a lot, drink whatever. Do you know what I mean? So I thought this one, I'm actually because I actually have to go for two hours to the local college every week, and uh, so yes, yeah, so Igor Svantec, I I salute you. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all. It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Um, someone who's happy at putting himself out there, even if he's injured with a tear in his hamstring, is Novak Djokovic. I mean, it is quite... Look, I know in recent times he's missed a fair few opportunities to, to get that equal at Nadal's record and go past it eventually. But, wow, I mean, he put his body on the line to win this Australian Open. Yeah, and I think that it's probably something that you don't do when you're 25, but you do when you're 35, <laughs> right? Because, all right, we saw with Nadal last year at the French, very much putting his body on the line as well with the foot uh, situation. Well, you know, that might be his last chance to win the French. You just you just don't know. You don't know how physically it's going to yeah. go. I mean, Djokovic seems to be generally in better shape, but these... these I say niggles, it was a tear. Um, <laughs> but these... Um, Injuries are becoming more frequent for the man who just seemed yeah. in the most ridiculous shape, the most flexible player, you know, extraordinary. Um, I don't want to say physicality because, you know, Nadal has better physicality, but uh, it just in terms of how his body has held up, how he would respond from five set matches, you know, whatever it was. I mean, he's he's pushed, I think, the sport physically to new levels. And uh, yeah, but they are starting to creep in now more and more. He's having to do a lot more managing, I think, of um, of the body. But ultimately, the slams, if you're in the slam, you're in the slam, right? You can compete and you can win it if you're Novak Djokovic. So you just do what you can to get to the end. And whatever consequences come after that, you have to sort of deal with, really. I mean, he's still so not surprised. He's still he's still the best player in the world. I mean, we need Carlos Alcaraz to come back to see the challenge to Novak Djokovic. We know that Novak Djokovic, as things stand, he can go to the US Open, but the the lifting of 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 the ban, as it were, won't be in time for Indian Wells and Miami. But it's just it's just those around him trying to yes, the body's breaking down a little bit more, but I don't know what where is is the challenge Carlos Alcaraz? Where else is the challenge? Sitsapas fell short. I think a little a few people were Slightly surprised he didn't bring a different level to it. Daniel Medvedev was still wondering if he can get himself back up there. Zverev's still coming back from injury. Kasparu, you know, wh- where is the challenge for you? Who's the closest to challenging Djokovic this year? Uh, well, I mean, you have to look at Alcaraz. Um, I mean, let's assume that Nadal's just never going to be 100% fitness again. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to look at Alcaraz, but he's only, um, you know, he's only very young and very inexperienced, really. So, yeah. Um, unfortunately there isn't I mean look he just won the Australian Open with a torn hamstring Nadal won the mm. French with a numb foot they, it, it's you know the gap is I mean, huge they, like, when I mean, you say it like that it's, it's, but it is <laughs> ridiculous though like yeah, it is. you know I mean you know, Djokovic won Wimbledon I mean he sort of cruised it really didn't he 
because um, he was relatively fit. And, and this is where ultimately they still only need to find a, what, a seven out of 10 to beat everyone and to beat people like Sitsipas. And it was a real shame that Sitsipas couldn't challenge um couldn't uh, couldn't challenge Djokovic in the final um, as well yeah. as he would have liked. Got off to a really slow start, yeah. and it was you know yeah. going to be difficult. But I think you know going into that, um, I was excited because I'd picked its pass out of my word search. So, oh, <laughs> so yes, did, yes, yes, I'd done quite well. But in comparison to the French, when he took on Djokovic in that final, that is different. It's its pass's favourite surface. Yeah, um, it's Djokovic's least favourite surface, and you know, just that couple of percent either way, an extra couple of percent for Sitsipas because that's where he wants to be and a couple of percent down for Djokovic because it's not his favourite court. I mean, you can see the difference between that French Open final where Sitsipas genuinely did have a chance to win. He was two sets up and he was he was the better player for two sets of it. Um, and then you suddenly put Djokovic on the Rod Laver arena and it just, it's a different, different ball game. As I say, you have those couple of percentage points swing and... You know, sits past because can't live with him. Just couldn't live with him. We got Nick Kyrgios battling back from injury, but he is the unknown quantity. I mean, looking at the live rankings at the moment, in order, it's Djokovic, Alcaraz, Sitsipas, Rude, Rublev, Nadal, Fritz, Felix Ogielia, Sim, Holger Rune, Hubert Herkech. I mean, Daniel Medvedev's now down to eleven. I mean, it's it's go, it's it's there it's there for Novak Djokovic, isn't it? If he wants to be the goat, if he believes the goat is how many Grand Slam titles you have won. It's his for the taking now, if he can stay fit. Yeah, plenty more for him to get his hands on. Um, you know, he's always favourite of the Australian Open, as long as he's 70, 60, 50% fit. I'd say, <laughs> I don't know. Wow. He's always going to be favourite. The same at Wimbledon. Um, at the French, obviously, you have a problem called Rafael Nadal. Um, I'm going to assume, probably wrongly, I hope wrongly, but probably wrongly, that he's not going to be fit at the French and that, you know, it, this seems like it's a you know, big, big problem for for Nadal. Um, and if that is the case, then I would love to be seeing a Djokovic Rude final, for example. Mm. I think that would be really interesting. Yes, Rude got pretty, uh, pretty walloped by Nadal um, at uh, at the French, but I think that him against Djokovic could be really fun on on the clay. You know, it would be great to see Dominic team back, wouldn't it, as well, to challenge on the clay. Can't see anyone challenging on the grass apart from potentially Berrettini. Um, but, you know, I don't know if he's playing consistently enough, but he's still got time to do it. I don't know. It's the US Open, really, is the one. It's, it's always, the isn't it? One it's that always. Any, that anyone's got a chance with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's just the best, isn't he? I know, he's, he's absolutely phenomenal. Do you have... Do you have an issue with wildcards? Do you mind or care who they're awarded to or how they're awarded? Recently, we had a little flurry of interest when Andy Murray was awarded wildcard in, in Dubai and it starts the conversations of should it go to people who, who need a break or a chance? Should it go to this? Should it go to that? Do you, are you, do you have any views on how wildcards are avoided, uh, awarded? It's, uh, it's up to the tournament. Yeah. It's the tournament's decision with the wildcards. Whoever's running the tournament gets the choice. And uh, it's completely up to them. They get a few free spots because they are paying a lot of money to put on these tournaments and doing an awful lot. And in exchange, um, yes, they have the potential to make uh, to make revenue, of course, but it's their tournament and they reserve a few spots for whoever the hell they want. And if they want a former champion like Andy Murray, who wouldn't, 
then bring them in. If they want to give it to a, a local player who's doing very well, then give them a chance, the best in the country. If they want to do a thing where we see it quite often, that if you do the best in a run of challenges or in a particular challenger, then you earn a wild card. Um, however it, it's going to work, everybody does it differently. And I think that to put on a tournament, I, I do think it's fair enough to get a few free spots uh, in the tournament yes we sometimes see it exploited particularly in the middle east where we get some players that are of course nowhere near the level and don't win games um but once again it's you know it's one spot you know it's often you know, it might be qualifying it might be one spot in the main draw i don't think it's a big problem okay andy murray's had more wild cards than anybody um i think on the atp side because on the men's side it's unlimited women's side it's limited you're not allowed to have as many as you want so it's very different. Um, but for the men, you can just rack them up. You can have a wild card every week if you want. Didn't someone figure out that... Uh, I thought the social media... Um, I didn't verify it. So this might be loose facts. I know this is normally your area, but you have baby brain right now, so I'm taking over that mental. But I think I read somewhere that... Isn't it Petros Sitspas has had 98 wild cards? <laughs> I mean... I'm, yeah, I mean, I assume a lot of those in doubles, right? Yeah, I would say 99% <laughs> of them are doubles. But it's... Do, do you think that... Um, do you think it would be good if there was a limit? Or again, it's just up to the respective tournaments who they want to have on their courts? Yeah, I... I think, um, I mean, I've always operated in the WTA system, which has had a limit. It's three main draw wild cards, three qualifying wild cards, one grand slam. So you can rack them up. You can still do quite a yeah, few. Yeah. Um, but there is a limit, for example, particularly if you're an American player, you can't just get a wild card into every American event. You're only allowed three main draws, three qualifying, and then the US Open if you were to, to take that one. So I do think that a limit works, but I'm also not massively against um you know somebody like Andy Murray just getting wild cards week in week out I I don't see that as much of a much of a problem and if you're him of course you're going to take them you are never ever some people suggesting that he shouldn't take it you're never ever going to opt to play qualifying if you're Andy Murray and you're trying to protect your body at all costs you will be like excellent I will take the (laughs) I will take the place in the main draw and I will play this tournament thank you very much and it's not like he hasn't done enough to deserve that place in the main draw and and one final thing um, I don't know if you've read it uh, uh, the Players Tribune piece by Jessica Pagula about everything her mother went through when she suffered a cardiac arrest and and how she's been playing through that and her mother's recovery it was it phenomenal to see what she's been going through and how she's been playing and, and having that switch of it's she's such a good talker Jessica but I've interviewed her a couple of times she's so lovely to speak to you remember one press conference she had a drinking from a can of beer she just seems really normal a really normal person she's been such a well she has been a late bloomer in the sport in terms of the age when she really started making waves but incredible and I know lots of I remember when Roberto Bautista good he he lost both of his parents didn't he in a, a relatively short space of time and battling through but just a wonderful piece that she has just felt now that the time is right to talk about everything she's been battling off the court and then therefore on the court as well. Yeah, really brutal with what they've gone through with uh, uh, her mum and still plenty of uh, difficult times ahead in terms of recovery. Um, and uh, yeah, it's so difficult, isn't it? You know, I think it was so brilliantly written. It was such a nice insight yeah. into how difficult it is to make decisions. Do you then travel to go to tournaments? She, you know, had to go and play at Wimbledon, and you know, leaving your family behind, and you know, considering, well, do I just stop tennis and I do I just you know take up the family business because they do have a, a huge business, of course, out in the states, and her mum playing you know such a critical role. 
uh, and, and all those things go through your mind, right? Do you give up your dream to to facilitate that, or, you know, um, the direction you go in? I mean, how she's ended the world number, th- uh, ended the year at world number three is, uh, you know, quite astonishing. I don't know. Maybe there's also there's some sort of escapism in the matches or some sort of detachment that she can uh, she can bring and use because we have seen phenomenal tennis from her. Um, but yeah, no, good good for her for sort of. Um, getting it off her chest she said it was time i'm sure she's going to feel much better uh, now that it's sort of all, all out in the open and she's explained things yeah i'd recommend if people haven't do search for it it's a piece written on the players tribune and i should say a massive thank you to you because you're not long through completing your family of four and you're back <laughs> here podding so um massive thank you for I, I didn't expect it I thought I'm not I'm gonna we were chatting like congratulations baby stuff but I thought I'm not gonna ask about the pod I'm not gonna pressure you to get back podding until you're ready so I love the fact that you felt ready yeah exactly so if you've heard some little squeaks it's because she's she's, <laughs> she's right next to the microphone so <laughs> I haven't been able to stop that I'm afraid um, well, can I, can I say she's she's been wonderfully quiet, well behaved for the recording of this pod, which we massively appreciate. And uh, look, the, the tennis, it's it never stops. We've got. Have you watched any more of Breakpoint? I've got to stop calling it Point Break because that was the. I thing. have. I've watched it all. Well, all the ones that are out so far. I don't think the next episodes yep. are are there. So yeah, I found it really interesting. I found it. You know, as I, as I said before, it's not aimed at us. It's not giving no. us insight into the world of tennis. It's giving people who have no idea insight into the world of tennis so um yeah I thought it was it was well done that I definitely have some issues to to, <laughs> to to pick at which maybe we can do next week um okay. I think just some uh just in terms of the way it it's um it sort of pans out but then I don't know tennis is just such a a different sport I think it's fascinating hearing from all the coaches that's been really interesting hearing a lot from Paul Anacone when he was working with uh, with Taylor Fritz and and those sorts of discussions with Paul Anacone being like, don't play on your ankle. What are you doing? <laughs> Please don't play. But ultimately, you have no control over your player. Your player goes out and then beats the doll to win Indian Wells. So there you go. Oh, I love this. It's okay. So break point to be continued. Is that it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's do a deep dive next week. Okay. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. 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 